Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Zafonzo Davies, treble winner, and you're listening to Ranks FC. Welcome then to Ranks FC, your favourite football podcast for the second time this week. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me, Mr. Sam Ty. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. And Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. I'm looking forward to this one, Sam. You've got a pretty special ranking for us today, looking at the next best players in the world. And obviously we've seen Messi and Ronaldo for, for a little while now. This has been a duopoly in the a world. A little while, I'd say. It's a while. I have been in this game. A little a decade. I've been a journalist since 2012. And at no point in my career up to this point has there been a question over who the best player in the world is other than these two players. So... When we finally get to this point, and it does feel like it's on the horizon, this will be very, very strange. Yeah, it's going to be well odd, isn't it? It's going to be very, very odd. Um, but we're going to have a look at who their success is going to be, who the five players probably primed and poised uh, to be the next best players in the world. Um, but before we get onto that, we've got things we love to talk about. But before we get onto that, Dean, it's time for a competition. Is yeah. Um, I hope everybody got the chance to listen to our Patreon because it's free this week. We're putting it into your normal feed so you can get a taste of what goes on over there. We really are loving life over on Patreon. We're getting everybody involved. We're getting hundreds of questions on a Monday that we have to um, somehow get through. It's good fun. The best uh, show so far was when everybody sent in their hills to die on. We had some absolutely bonkers opinions from the rank squad. Um, and if you're not there, you are actually missing out. So the competition today is that we are giving someone a free subscription to our Patreon Ranks FC Ultras. And I've got to say, if Monday's competition was easy, this one is a piece of cake. It's, it, there's nothing to do, to be honest. All you do is in there's a link on all of our social pages. There's a link in the description for this podcast. Anywhere you go about Ranks, there will be a link there right now. You click on that link, you fill in a form, basically put in your email, your name, where you're from, who you support. It's about 400 little segments you fill in. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> Don't put people okay. off. There's about five questions. It's genuinely, like, as someone who has done a number of surveys in my life, this is the simplest survey I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, honestly, just it take you literally 30 seconds to just put in your email, whatever, press send, and you're in there. You could win a free subscription um, Patreon and look, if you don't win you can sign up anyway so everyone's the winner how yeah. long is this subscription Dean have you thought this through no um, <laughs> just gonna it's just gonna roll on a couple of months and if they're still enjoying it I'll extend it <laughs> <laughs> if they're not enjoying it I'll just stop it I'll send you them know, a message after two months do you know how to do a free subscription absolutely no idea so I'm gonna I'm gonna figure <laughs> that out after this show right <laughs> 
Well, you can win though, so make sure you get involved. I think you make sure you get involved purely to see how Dean deals with the the logistics of this situation. Because of all the people on this call, on this on this podcast, uh, I'm backing Dean the least to get this over the line. So I'm actually very excited. I might enter, to be honest. I mean, what I'll probably end up doing is just giving someone my login details, <laughs> and they'll be commenting as Dean Jones in the Patreon. That would be the... to my Facebook, my Instagram, my email, <laughs> my bank account. Uh, right, Sam, on that note, what was the thing you loved this weekend? Right, well, as always, there are plenty of things that I loved this weekend, and I was uh, feeling I was feeling like I was going to go for Rafinha uh, at Leeds because his performance, I thought, against Arsenal was superb, and um, he's in my fantasy draft team, so I was really pulling for him. But I've decided to put my own personal biases aside for a second and maybe not focus on a player who ultimately just hit the post in a nil-nil draw. And I've decided to go for something a little bit more exciting. And it's the fact that Tongi and Dombele and the performance levels we're getting from him and just the general love that he is receiving is something that I absolutely love. Because as we know, it's been a really rocky road for him at Spurs. Like he's been questioned uh, probably from about every single angle you could possibly be questioned from. Uh, Sometimes fairly, sometimes not. Had some injury issues, some fitness issues, some maybe some commitment issues. We're not sure. Depends on who you speak to. Um, and for a young man moving to a new country, bedding into a new area, new settle, new settling, this is tough. And and you know you, you're recruited by Pochettino, and then a couple of months later you've been given Jose Mourinho as manager. That this is these are not easy things for young men to take on board. But look at him now. I mean the recovery that he's made, and he is a glorious, glorious footballer. You know, as press resistant as it gets, and he uses his body to faint and swivel and and duck and dive and turn and seesaw. And he ends up like perpendicular to the floor sometimes when he's wriggling out of pressure. Like, I don't really know how he does most of what he does. I feel like he defies physics at times and creates space where there obviously should not be space or is not space. And against City, I think we saw his absolute best. And obviously the performance is capped off by this wonderful pass, wriggle out of pressure and then pass into space for Son to uh, to slot home and Spurs end up winning the game. And look, this is, Ndombele's been playing really well for about a month and a half now. He's managed to get himself into this team pretty much at the expense of Deli Alli and Giovanni Lo Celso, which is easier said than done. I can't believe that he's basically managed to recover his position under Mourinho. If you're sat here wondering, like I am, why Tottenham are quite a lot better than you thought they would be, this unforeseeable circumstance, the return of Ndombele, is a massive part of why that's happened. And as someone who I absolutely adored at Lyon, watched his debut uh, against Tottenham in the flesh against Aston Villa, opening game of last season, and just my jaw just hit the floor whenever he touched the ball. To see him fall out of the side was pretty heartbreaking. So to see him come back in, to see this redemption arc, I am loving. He's so good, isn't he? And and I think the, the thing is, he can kind of do it all. Like you say, there's those kind of bursts out of pressure. There's that kind of balletic element to the way that he plays in the middle quite a lot. And he just has this creative force behind him that I don't think a lot of people gave him credit for. You know, a lot of people saw him come in and thought, oh, OK, we've bought a defensive midfielder. He's, he's probably, you know, a little bit destructive. He's not really at all. No, he, no, no. He's very, very much not that kind of player. And and, you know, we had this kind of discussion about Thomas when he when he went to Arsenal and, and, and about people play, saying that, that Thomas was a player that he just wasn't. And I think Ndombele had it even more 
in, in some ways because he was kind of a, a bit of an unknown quantity. I think a lot more people had watched Thomas Partey before before he arrived at, at Arsenal. Whereas when Ndombele signed, I think there was a lot of excitement among some circles about what he brought, but others were a bit like, this is a bit of an unknown quantity. And he's just so graceful on the ball. And and the amount he creates by sort of wriggling, as you say, out of pressure and then heads up and just finding the space and finding the, you know, the pass. He's just a glorious watch. And it's really nice to see him back in full flight. They just didn't understand each other. So that's why that's why this has taken so long to happen. Mourinho and, and Dombele just did not get each other. Mourinho didn't know what Ndombele was supposed to be and Ndombele didn't know what Mourinho expected of him and it's taken a lot of conversations between the two to get to where we are today um, but they are now both thriving because they they both get each other they know what's expected here and and they found a role that Ndombele is happy with and it's similar to what Mourinho wants to happen with Deli Ali, but it's just not happening yet like this can be Deli Ali. This can happen to him too, but he's just got to understand exactly what it is Mourinho wants from him and do it. As I understand it, like Deli and Mourinho get on kind of okay away from football. <laughs> like they can talk together at tra- in the training ground. It's not like animosity between them, but Mourinho just can't get out of Ali what he wants. So that's why he's, there's a possibility he leaves in January. But anyway, get back to Ndombele. Yeah, it, we've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks about the midfield that Tottenham have created. And um, yeah, Ndombele is hugely significant in, in how well they've uh, managed to do so far this season. Yeah, absolutely. Dean, what's your thing you love this week then? Okay, so what I love is Man City are 13th in the Premier League and Barcelona are 13th in La Liga. What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't like, know what's going on. This is ridiculous. And Why I do love, you love it. this? <laughs> because, okay, so, look. Pep, De Bruyne, Sterling, Bernardo Silva, Lionel Messi, Antoine Griezmann, all of you, hang your heads in shame because that's not acceptable, right? Both of them have games in hand, to be fair. I don't care. I don't care how many games in hand they've got. It's still not good, Jack. Like, you look at what they've got right now. Barcelona are basically having the same season as Osasuna, right? They've got a yeah. game in hand as well. Man City, yeah, they've got a game in hand. They'd still be seventh, which is the same as Villa, but actually Villa have got a game in hand as well. So probably be eighth. Yeah, but they've that game in hand is Villa versus Man City. <laughs> so, but Man City, and people keep saying this to me on, um, on Twitter, people are like, yeah, but Barcelona have got games in hand. What makes you think that Barcelona win those games in hand? There's no real logic to believe that Barcelona are going to win these games in hand. I mean, you just look at their record so far this season. It's terrible. Like, three wins from eight games, both of these teams. Like, that's just not okay. But anyway, the reason I love this is because they're obviously not going to both finish 13th. So, in order to get back to where they need to be, something amazing has to happen for both teams. They both have to go on a brilliant run because this cannot continue. You, You can't lose, like nine games in a 10 games this season and, and win the league so they've both got to come up with something special and I mean we all watch every Man City game every Barcelona game anyway but there's just this 
I don't know what what does Pep do here to change things? Like who's the man that really stands out for Man City? Does Raheem Sterling rise to this? Does does Lionel Messi finally stop sulking and, and get back to what he was? Is he just missing the adulation? And once fans start arriving again to watch him, Messi becomes the player that we all expected. I don't know what the spark is for both of these teams. But as I say, at, at the moment, Man City have won the same amount of games as Newcastle and Barcelona have won the same amount of games as Osasuna. And that cannot continue for these two teams. And I'm just really looking forward to how the hell they turn it around. Yeah, I mean, the chaos. I, would, I mean, you can flip it a little bit, I, I think, in this is that part of the things that I've loved is the absolute chaos at the top of the leagues in, in many situations. And and the top of the league in La Liga, where it looks like it's going to be a straight fight between Real Sociedad and Atletico Madrid for the title, is is highly enjoyable. That's that's great. But it's great for everyone, you know, breaking yeah. breaking these elements that have been a little bit repetitive for so long you know the fact that Milan are top of the league in in, in Serie A and followed by Sassuolo and Juventus are in and about but nowhere really to be seen at that summit and I think that there's something to be said for all of these things right the the fact that it doesn't look like there's it's going to be just as uh, as easy and one-sided it has been in, in many years so I think, I think that, it's in that itself spirit, is isn't it? happy. yeah it's that spirit of all those teams that are really thriving right now like it seems like Sociedad have, have built on the community and like they the whole area like the, the, a lot of that squad have, have come up through the ranks yeah. at Six, Sociedad. 16 from the local area which is yeah it's unbelievable impressive. that and then they've just got a couple of star figures that they put in there to take them to the next level and, and Tottenham have created this togetherness and we talked on, on Monday about Pioli and what he's done with the togetherness at AC Milan and so the super clubs your, your Juventus and your Man City and your Barcelona they're all struggling as a result possibly maybe it's got something to do with it the fact that we're just in the weirdest times we've all been ever, ever been alive that might well be it, right? We're just we're just seeing a lot of weird things happening left, right, and center. I didn't love many things in particular this weekend. Uh, I loved watching Ryan Sessegnon score his first goal uh, for for Hoffenheim. Uh, I loved Leverkusen winning their fifth game on the trot. In the last seven games, Leverkusen have scored twenty three goals conceded 12 and are back to full-on chaos Leverkusen, which is really enjoyable. They're also the last team uh, unbeaten in the Bundesliga. So they remain remain the only ones on for an invincible season. So that's good for them as well. It's a pretty exciting times over at Leverkusen. And, but mostly, lads, I, I really love our new logo. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> those of you watching, listening to this, wherever you are, will have noticed probably that the Ranks FC logo has changed. And it is a gift from a, a good friend of ours, a, a brother of the Rank squad, uh, Mr. Mateus Marcello, a uh, former colleague of all of us. And uh, he has gifted us this new logo. And we're, we're very grateful. And mm. they're just really, really pleased. I'm just really pleased. They look really nice. Do you, you should have seen... The color process it took the three of us. I must have sent a hundred different color variations of these two logos to the boys. Now you don't think there's, there's only there's only three colors in them, you know? It's not they're not particularly difficult, and yet and yet we managed to color every element of this logo until we finally decided. So it's just yeah. nice to be to be away with it, lads. Is is, mm. is how I'm feeling. What I, what I thought was quite amusing is that we asked Mateus to take our old logo and just make it sort of 20% better, just tweak it, make it look a bit more professional, a bit shinier, just, just add an element of professionalism to it. He said, no problem. And he redesigns the entire goddamn thing. Gives us an entirely new logo, which fortunately we absolutely love. Jack, I'm with you. The thing I love most this week is our new logo. I'm really pleased with it, even if you did absolutely fill my cloud up with pictures that you sent, which was kind of annoying. 
some of us take process very seriously, Sam. Yeah. And, and you're going to be taking process very seriously after the break. Uh, what are you going to be ranking for us then? Well, we're going to pretend that or we're going to we're going to step into the future a little bit and basically preside over the, the fall of Messi and Ronaldo and suggest that, you know, when they are no longer the best players in the world, who steps up in their place? Which players will be considered the best in the world? It's very unfamiliar territory. makes me very uncomfortable. As I said, I've spent eight years in absolutely no doubt whatsoever who the best player in the world is and who's pushing him. So to go into this territory is weird, but at some point it's going to happen. If you watch Messi nowadays, you might be starting to be a little bit worried that actually that day is creeping up closer and sooner than you may have anticipated. So it's about time we had this conversation. Also helps that Diogo Vaz, one of our patrons, actually asked it. So jumping off point. Yeah, look, not everybody can can play the game into the, the late depths of their 30s at, at such a high level. You know, not everyone can be Zlatan Ibrahimovic or Joaquin. So uh, <laughs> ultimately, you know, there's, those days are coming. And uh, after the break, we're going to be looking at some familiar faces that are going to be stepping into the void. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for the big ranking. Sam, the floor is yours. Okay, cool. So quick shout out to Diogo Vaz again from Patreon, who basically came up with this idea. We really do like it when the ideas are provided to us. That means we don't have to think too hard. That's especially dangerous when Dean's involved. But anyway, a few terms and conditions first. This would be super boring if we said, right, once Messi and Ronaldo have retired or they're no longer at the top, who's going to be the best player in the world? And I turned around to you and said, Neymar, Kevin De Bruyne, who are, you know, 28, 29. I don't, I don't think that that's a particularly fun conversation to have. So I've decided to look younger. We're going to project over the course of maybe like more like a three or four or five year period and take a look at the kind of next crop of youngsters who are going to be up there and challenging. And so with that in mind, like... So it's who will be the best player in the world in five years? It's kind of that. I mean, to be honest with you, the, the, the list that I've put together is varied in current ability. And there's a couple you could argue might be there in a year. So, but that, that, that's where I wanted to go first. I wanted to say that the answer to this question currently for me is Neymar, but that's boring. And you know what? In your opinion, it might be Mane or Salah who were like 28 years of age. I mean, that's fine, but that is also boring. So we're taking next gen. We're looking at the next gen, which is uh, definitely something that Diogo, I'm sure, meant when he asked this question. So in at number five, I have gone with Jaden Sancho. Now, Jaden Sancho hasn't quite been himself this season, but it does feel like a few explainable things can be put that way. So first of all, I think the emphasis of Dortmund's play has maybe been shifted away from him ever so slightly. And while two assists in six games isn't amazing, you know, I'm not really that surprised that at Sancho's level and the expectation he's created, people are criticising that, even though most footballers would kill for two and yeah, assist every three games. Um, and given his name is on the back page of every newspaper from March until October, perhaps not that surprising he's come into this season a little bit cold. So if you do need to remind yourself of how good Sancho is, just peep his numbers from the last two years. 17 goals, 16 assists from 25 league starts last year, and then 12 goals, 14 assists from 26 the year before. Guys, these are like pretty much Messi-Ronaldo numbers, really. They're elite, if, they're elite numbers. They are elite numbers. And if you're looking at the next best players in the world, then obviously productivity comes into it. So you start by looking at players who have already started to match those levels of productivity, even at a young age. And Sancho did those numbers as a teenager, okay? And as a player, we know that he has incredible technical ability. His sheer production levels means he is destined for the top. 
is a variety of different ways to attack. And yeah, I've held him back in fifth, admittedly against a pretty serious cast above him, let's be clear. But here's where I'll posit one theory. The, the next best player in the world, once the Messi and Ronaldo generation retires, I think will be a physically outstanding candidate. I think that's the way the game has gone. The high energy, the intensity, the pressing, the speed, the strength. I think if there's one drawback to Sancho in these stakes is that he is a little bit lightweight and he isn't particularly fast. So he is he is unremarkable in, in that specific area. And I think that might hold him back when you tally him up against the calibre of players that we're talking about here. But a clear top five candidate for me because he's a genius. Dean, I know you're a big Jane Sancho fan. Um, and the the rumours have been forever that he's obviously on the move. But this season, it has calmed down a little bit. And, and I think that there might be some sense in him just going a little bit below the radar for a little while just to re-establish that form before we see their moves spring up again. Yeah, I mean, he won't be moving in January, so he's now at Dortmund for the season. They're not they're not the type of club that that let players like that go midway through a season um, and also can't see anybody spending the type of money that's going to be necessary in January anyway. So we can expect Jadon Sancho to be there till at least the summer. Um, don't think that's a bad thing. I think that um, it probably was quite distracting for him over the summer. He's adamant. He did an interview while on international duty that the speculation over his future has not had an impact on his form. He just says, every player has a dip in form. This is mine. I'm just glad that my managers still believe in me and still keep giving me games, um, which is fine. That That's fine. And that's, to be honest, it's quite refreshing to just hear somebody say that outright, that he's just going through a dip in form. He'll come through it and out the other side. And of course he will. You know, he's like one of the most naturally gifted English players we've seen in 10 years. And he will come back. And I think being at a club like Dortmund, obviously confidence can come very quickly because they could go through games like Haaland did the other day where he scores four goals and suddenly feels on top of the world. And Sancho can do that too. So he's in a good place. And and let's just see what his next club ends up being. We talked about on Monday about Dortmund being kind of a stepping stone club. They're never where you want to end up ultimately. Sancho will have big ambitions in his career. Um, but it's about finding the right club and the right manager to to believe him and guide him. It's going to be a, a crucial element of, of all of these players, you know, never mind just Sancho. But it feels especially prevalent for Sancho that his next step has to be the right step. If he's going to really kick on. Yeah, you probably probably can't be considered the best player in the world if you play for Dortmund, unless Dortmund have obviously done what seems impossible to them right now, which is topple Bayern in the Bundesliga or win the Champions League. I mean, you're going to have to be in serious contention for those kind of things. And um you kind of get the feeling that Sandra is not going to be quite there with Dortmund at the moment. So yeah, the next move is important. I mean, look, if the next move is wrong, then it set, it could set him back as many as two, three years. I mean, you only have to take a look at, and this is ironic because we're going to talk about the same club that we always talk about with, with Sancho, but you only have to take a look at Pogba's move to Manchester United to look at how the wrong move, or if a move doesn't work out for you, it can absolutely torpedo your stock in these stakes Pogba should be in this list. He's not. And I say that as someone who absolutely adored him at Juventus and was so excited for his move to the Premier League. And I don't think he's been bad, but he's obviously not in this conversation. He's, he feels so far set back. So that's, that, that's what we're talking about. And that's why yeah, every single one of these players, if they do end up moving on to anywhere else, has to be right. Yeah, that's it. it it's, it's one of those quite difficult things that... 
you know, there's so much at there's so much in play here, right? You know, and we we talk about injuries and and all of those things and and, and all the elements that can set you back. But a wrong move is genuinely one of the ones that that I think could be worse because injuries, you know, you can be recovered from most of the time. There are there are elements to all of this. But a wrong move that gets you trapped in a contract that you can't get out of. And we look at Gareth Bale's last couple of years at, at Real Madrid, where you know there was just no playing time and no point to to discussing the the fact that at one point we were looking at Gareth Bale in that category of next best players in the world, and then suddenly you were like, well, I can't do that anymore purely because he isn't playing. And I think that's kind of a, a real element to all of these. But with that, we'll move on to number four. Yeah, it's fitting that you mention wrong moves actually, because last summer we were fraught with worry, weren't we, that this player had made potentially the wrong move. But I have to say, guys, I'm super relieved that João Felix is sparkling at Atletico Madrid and that this transfer does appear to be working out after, let's call it one year of settling in. And so at number four is João Felix. Um, look, there are certain transfers and takes that, rightly or wrongly, we, we, we sort of hold ourselves kind of accountable to and maybe, maybe attach our reputation or stake our reputation on almost. And Picking Felix out at 17 and harping on about him to literally anybody that would listen, it felt like me staking my reputation. So to see him performing, excelling, thrilling, it does warm my heart. And to see Diego Simeone reimagine his entire team around Felix, you know, a, a traditionally defensive team has been reimagined as something much more enterprising and built around one player's talent. Well, it's been lovely, hasn't it? I mean, Felix already has the golden boy, um, winner to his name and uh, with that year in, under his belt in Spain he's flying he's joy he is already a top level difference maker he's verging on becoming that elite level difference maker he has the potential and I think he'll probably be that quite soon so look I mean we might even be talking about this quicker than we thought because if Atletico were the team that take advantage of you know the Real Barcelona slips this season they do go and sneak out a little La Liga title you know Felix will be crucial to it and the way in which we talk about him could dramatically change eight months down the line. Yeah, for sure. He is beauty. He is grace. And it's to to kind of take away a line from some from a William Shatner song, shall we say? But <laughs> Dean, I think none of us were were worried completely about Jao Felix's talent. We were worried about his place in this side and. The explosion this season, this season has been absolutely joyous. Yeah, I mean, you always have to worry about players of that age anyway, about how they settle into a new team and if they lose confidence, how they regain it. Um, fortunately, you know, Atleti clearly see him as a long-term fixture in this team. This, this isn't a stepping stone as such. I think he's going to be there for a while. And, you know, they, they've found the perfect way to get him going. I think we've talked before about the addition of Luis Suarez into the squad has given him a mentor, if you like, on the pitch and somebody that's on his wavelength and can just add little bits of information throughout the game to help him manage situations and spells of matches when things get tough. And it's it's taken him to another level. I mean, obviously, he's doing most of this himself just by being one of the most naturally gifted footballers you'll ever see. But... Um, it is that mindset as well that's so important. And he's showing us that he has it. He has that strong mind that is definitely going to elevate him and make sure that he does fulfill his potential as one of the best in the world. Yeah, that's it. And and ultimately, this is this is one that could go higher, Sam, if I'm honest. I, I yeah. think that we could be looking here at... A, a number one seed you know mm, I, I mean I, I know that you're I know that there are going to be names above this that 
probably sit in a little bit more comfortably right now. But I just think that the way that Jao Felix is playing and the way that this has, this season has exploded is a testament to a player who is genuinely, you know, at his best unplayable. And, and there will be others, of course, like this. But I, I, I'm not, you know, averse to the idea that he genuinely might, might end up being the best player in the world full stop. I'm not averse to it either. I think all five of the players here can do it, but I had to make some tough calls here and I've got three players who I think if I had to stake anything on it, I would say that these three are probably marginally more likely. Okay, so, let's roll in. Yeah, let's start with the, with, the, with the third one on that list. So in at number three is Antu Fati. And this is a player who, do you know what? Yeah, sometimes you watch a player and you just get such an incredibly positive vibe from them within like minutes of watching them. You just watch a player for a couple of minutes and you go, yeah, I like this kid. He's really good. He's really, really good. Felix was one of those, to be fair. And Fatty, Fatty's another. And when he broke into the eleven under Valverde, start of last season, feels like such a long time ago now, I was stunned by the way he moved and interpreted with Lionel Messi, which is something that some players genuinely just never, ever get. They always struggle. Griezmann being your obvious example. And... The fact that Messi trusted him and wanted to pass to him is always a massive clue that this kid has bags and bags of talent. So I began impressed with his football IQ, his movements, his link play. What's really started to stand out, particularly this season, is the outright speed, the timing of runs, the cleverness to his play, and the unerring finishing. You know, it's football IQ plus confidence and maturity in front of goal and this breakaway speed that will mean that he will be forever be undefendable and I'd argue that Fatty at 18 years of age is already he already has the killer instinct that and the composure that like thousands of strikers that are well into their 30s are still searching for even at even at top five level and that all together add it all is such a wicked combo guys and it's such a shame that he's out for the next three or four months because He's really finding his groove and he was becoming, I think, really the figurehead, one of the figureheads of this Barcelona team. He's he's on the team sheet ahead of Griezmann and he's vital to how they play. And he has certain elements to his game, the speed, the killer instinct, which will mean that he will just terrorise for a decade, for as long as he plays. And his ceiling is ludicrous. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think where I'm, where I'm less hot on this, and I don't mean less hot in terms of I don't think it's wrong, is just how young he is. And I think everyone else we've talked about is a little bit further along. Yeah, a couple of years. A couple of years further along. And and I don't know why that worries me, but it, it does a little bit. It's the, you know, the first kind of burst onto the scene thing. And and look, I'm not I'm not saying that he's gonna suffer the same fates that the others have suffered, right? But the last 16-year-old to burst onto the scene at Barcelona, Bojan, first 48 games, 12 goals, five assists, Ansu Fati's record at you know, 52 games, 17 goals, eight assists. It's not miles different. It's not miles different. And I know there are... Super, it's irrelevant, dude. It's irrelevant. I mean, I, like, look, it's, it, you, you, you watch the players and you... Yeah, but you, I remember you, watching Bojan and being like, oh my God, this kid's incredible. Well, I mean, this is a dicey exercise. You never know what happens. You know, I, I've never met Ansu Fati, so I can't speak to his temperament. I can't speak to his personality, his professionalism. It sounds like he's very professional based on all the articles I've read. But I can't, I mean, I, we're all shooting in the dark to a point here on exactly where they end up and little intangible things that we don't know about can decide whether Fatty ends up as the best, second, third, 10th, 15th best player in the world. 
I look at him, I look at his skills, I look at his confidence, and I can't think of many better at the top level. So I go with it. Yeah, no, I think it's fair yeah. enough. I just, I think it's interesting just given his age. I think that's yeah. maybe it. Like the we, the rest of them, we've seen a couple of seasons of. Um, we, we've seen a, a little bit more in the kind of sustainability tank, and that's not to say that this is wrong. Like, I don't, I don't think you are wrong. I think that this is this is a very, very sensible shout when you're talking about the the next generation. I just, I would have had him below Jao Felix. The thing uh, is with Fasti, I think he was an accidental find, wasn't he? Like he was, he stumbled into Barcelona's first team because they just found themselves needing an emergency player in that role, and he just took the moment and he's never looked back and maybe it is the fact that he had nothing to lose that has just elevated him so quickly most players of his age he's 18 and most players that are this good and make this much of an impact at that age we've heard about since they were about 14 and you're just waiting and waiting for them to come through and you're expecting it hasn't been the case with fatty like you it's almost the reverse of that that yeah he's done well but He's probably like Federico Makeda or something. He's probably just going to disappear soon and, and we'll remember him as this fad player that everybody loved for five minutes. And that just hasn't happened. And like Sam says, he's stepped up even more this season, became one of the like three names that had to be on the Barcelona team sheet. And now they've got to find, you know, three, four months spell of replacing him. And it's incredible that so quickly he's become a player that is almost irreplaceable uh, irreplaceable for this team. Yeah. Um, it's mad. And also, I, I think that the fact that the Barcelona players walked out the other day wearing fatty T-shirts, like in support of a player who's only injured for a few months. Were they incredible. Melon of the Week? Were they Melon of the Week contenders for that? <laughs> Not quite. But I think that just goes to show the stature that this guy has. And I, I wouldn't have, have put him in at number three, but in defense of Sam, like if those guys at Barcelona think that highly of Ansu Fati, that Messi is willing to put up a, on a T-shirt supporting an 18-year-old player who's just injured for a few months, then he must be pretty special. I remember yeah. when we did our breakout players, uh, you know, start of last season again, and uh, we ranked them. And I put Fatty top, and Jack, you went something like, you went, you did that noise you make, you went, no, something like that. You were like, it's so soon, I can't believe you've gone there. And I guess I've done it again. And I guess what, I just remembered that as you've gone, oh, that's a bit hot, just because, yeah. just because, and it looks perfectly logical. I clearly just have a feeling about Ansu Fati that yeah. I can't shake. And I just have the most unbelievable amount of belief in his talent. <laughs> yeah, well, also there's there's kind of a, you know, to, to kind of negate my own point in some ways, there are, there've been elements here where you look at players breaking through and you think, okay, they're based in teams that are settled in, in really excellent, excellent units. And, and Fati has come through in a Barcelona team, which is a little bit all over the place, a little bit kind of struggling. Three managers, mate. Three managers in a year. And- <laughs> And has and has shown under all of them, and and that is massively to his credit. I, you know, I'm not saying this is wrong. I don't, I don't want it to come out that I have an anti 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 fatty agenda by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's wonderful. I'm just, I'm just worried about putting all of this pressure on his young shoulders. That's what I I'm worried about. Well, look, we'll try and fix this, but I don't at the moment. I don't think he listens to the pod, so obviously <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to address it, but it should be okay. But what I would say to sum up your your thought process there is that. F- Felix's floor is higher, right? It's a safer bet. Fatty's ceiling is, is marginally higher for me. So that's ended up where I've going with it. But let's move on to number two, shall we? Yeah, fair, absolutely, 100%. Okay, so number two is someone that we did spend some time talking about on Monday. And we already have mentioned today, it's Erling Haaland. 
Loves so, goals, to be fair to him. Loves goals. Loves goals. So hopefully, as Dean said at the start of the show, you guys listened to that show. That was our Monday post-box Patreon episode that was free to available this week. We talked about Haaland, how he looks like Adriano in PES, like he was built on a computer game, but he's bigger, stronger, faster, better than everybody else, a robot, a machine, a cyborg, and he is all of those things. And we also spoke about how he is both new school and old school at the same time. He could play for Pep, he could play for Jose, he could play for Ajax, and he could play for Burnley. So it's the full array. I mean, look, Burnley aren't going to sign him, but he could play there. He could play for Sean Dyche if he needed to. So I'd say it's pretty normal to regard the best player over the years as, you know, if not an attacker, then they're probably a striker. That that tends to be the sort of player that gets this crown. And I suppose they do make the difference more often than not. He's the hardest thing in 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 the game to score goals. And Haaland is in the running to become the best striker in the world within the next couple of years. And his numbers are absolutely insane, aren't they? I mean, this is no getting away from it. The guy is the machine that we talk about. He has 1.4 non-penalty goals per 90. And we record that before he probably lays waste to Club Brugger on the Tuesday evening. And you'll listen on the Wednesday. And guess he could tack on a few more to that tally for sure. The thirst and the drive and the obsession with scoring goals is crazy. You know, he sleeps with his hat-trick balls and he spends his off-seasons chopping wood down, chopping trees down, looking like something from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. is absolutely mm-hmm. horrendous. I'd be so scared of him if I was a defender. He plays with speed and precision. He plays with power. He, you can play up to him. He can link play. He can run off the shoulder. He scores every type of goal and he hits it pretty much harder than anybody else hits it. All of this combined, I am fairly sure that Erling Haaland will be a top five player in world football for a long time in a not too distant future and could could stake his claim very legitimately to be the best player in the world not that in in a couple of years it's mental mm. isn't it 31 goals in 30 games for Dortmund 14 goals in 11 Champions League games overall he scored 29 in 27 for Salzburg he scored 6 in 4 for Norway in the in the Europa League it's like these are numbers we have only seen from Messi and Ronaldo these are like these are uh, and and maybe perhaps the person I, who I assume is going to be number one on this list is the only other person that I've seen do numbers like this, and it's mad. This is mad. I, I look. I, I was just looking something up right now, and Erling Haaland was born in July two thousand. Less than a year later, Daft Punk released "Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger," and I don't <laughs> think those two things are unrelated. I, I believe that they were sent a vision when Erling Haaland was born, that they were like, we need to write an anthem for this child. Like, you know, and, you know, I think it was Kanye West that said, you know, every superhero need their theme music. And and it feels like that song was written for, for Erling Braut Haaland. I thought you were going to say he was born in July 2000 and just a year later, he scored his 1,000th goal. <laughs> He's not Pele, come on. <laughs> He's not Romario. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, Dean, we sing his praises so much that it almost feels like we've run out of, you know, superlatives to describe Harland, but this is this is the one that that catches the eye, isn't it? And I think we're going to obviously get on to number one in a minute, but this is it. Feels like there's going to be a two way race in terms of being a striker. There's a two way race for the best player in the world, following Ronaldo, Messi, and Ronaldo, and and I think we're looking at these two at the top because people naturally put strikers at the top of these orders. Yeah, I think in if you were to look at say to every big club right now, you can have a centre forward this season. Who do you want? It would be Harry Kane, 
Lewandowski and Haaland. They would be the three guys that every single massive club in the world would highlight as their three. Well, Harry Kane's 27, Lewandowski is 32, Haaland is 20 years old. He's 20 years old. Like you go through the list of like other like great forwards right now, like Lukaku's 27. You could say that he'd be kind of in the same bracket. Um, you could put in even Lautaro's three years older than him, um, a different type of player, but he's three years older than him. Um, I just don't think you're going to find anybody with the current ability and the potential of Haaland in terms of goal scoring and just overall value in the, in the world. I mean, obviously we're going to, we're going to talk about number one in a minute and I think everyone will be able to guess who that is, but, but there's something that Haaland's got that the number one just hasn't. And it's the killer instinct. It's the focus. It's that I am the man. He's, he believes he is. He's that kind of Cristiano Ronaldo in that, that, that sense of, no, like, just leave this to me and I will storm through and complete this game. Like, <laughs> Haaland is just, he's a monster. He's an absolute monster. I mean, we've said the word number one so many times in here, Sam, that it feels only right that you just do it and then we can discuss all these players in, in retrospect. <laughs> so let's move it on to number one. Yeah, number one. Uh, perhaps not the bombshell you were hoping for, but, I mean, look, in my opinion, Kylian Mbappe is already one of the five best players in the world, regardless of any age brackets or position groups that you want to throw at me. So working from that basis, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to project who steps into the Messi-Ronaldo shoes once they are no longer at the top of the game, it would feel pretty hypocritical for me not to say Mbappe is the number one candidate here if I think he's already one of the best five players in the world. So number one is Kylian Mbappe. And yeah, it's reasonable, mate. Like it is, it is incredibly reasonable, isn't it, Jack? I mean, incredibly. His his talents are remarkable. Um, he is probably the fastest forward in the game. Definitely the burst element of it is the fastest. Incredibly technical, considering how quickly he moves. The speed at which his feet move is incredible. There is a maturity in front of goal there already. So it is a seriously early peak from Mbappe in terms of that killer instinct as well. Uh, in league play, yeah, he's averaging more than a goal a game since joining PSG. And do you know what? He's among the most creative forwards as well. His expected assist numbers are actually quite ridiculous. It's 0.45 XA per game this season. And if you consider that Harry Kane is 0.47 and Thomas Muller is 0.54, Muller broke the assist record for the Bundesliga last year, or topped, topped the assist league last year, and Harry Kane has morphed into this all-conquering creative forward. Mbappe is is there. He is there with Kane and Muller in terms of creativity, as well as all of the other direct, speedy, killer instinct elements that he gives you. And look, I know that sometimes people will have an issue with the standard of Liga when comparing these players in these senses, and I would usually as well. But I've got a 2018 World Cup to back up my point of view here, and Mbappe was incredible. And that was two years ago. He's only got better. His pedigree, I don't think you can doubt it, even though he does play in Liga. So, Mbappe, for me, is the number one candidate here. But it's not like he streets ahead because what Haaland's done over the last year has shocked me to my core. And I, I thought think... that I thought Mbappe was like bang on for best striker in the world a year ago. And now I'm not 100% sure. 
I think you, know, you look at Mbappe and he's been doing this for five years. This is his fifth season doing it, you know, regularly. And I think that at the start, everyone was like, ah, oh, this kid's all right, isn't he? Like, he's quite good. And then there was obviously the Monaco run in the Champions League and everyone got a bit excited. And then there was a lot of money being thrown around, right? All of a sudden, it was like, okay, this kid's pretty special. And suddenly there was 200 million on the table. And you were like, that's a lot of pressure on young shoulders. That's a lot of, you know, things going on. And he has just carried on you know, almost oblivious to all of it. It's just been, it's been so consistent. And that's, that's something that he has in his locker that Haaland doesn't, right? We've, we've only seen Haaland over two, three years now. And, and Mbappe has been doing it for, for five, you know, constantly at a level in the top five leagues. And that in mm. itself is, is incredibly impressive. I can remember. So when me and Sam, well, when I first joined, Bleacher Report. Um, we started doing some some video stuff called Team Stream now, and in, and in that first like six seven months, I was working with Sam and Mbappe. It was basically when Mbappe broke out, and we would see it was when the links to Arsenal and everything like that started, and so we we were paying close attention to him from from that stage when he first came through, and this was before the City game as well when he broke out. It was before then, exactly. Yeah, so that City game. I mean, well, there was there was he scored in both games, didn't he? Um, in the last sixteen that, that season, but in the first half of the season, he started to come through, and you were like, "Whoa!" Like some of the runs he was going on, and you're like, "Okay, let's let's keep an eye on him." And then he keeps doing it, keeps doing it, and anyway, over the course of the season. Scores 26 goals um, from 44 games. But obviously it was the Champions League. You know, he scored six goals in the Champions League that season. And that was it. Boom. Like he'd arrived. Um, and from that very moment, really, that just any glimpse you got of him, you were like, yeah, this is it. Like, we're going to be talking about this kid for the rest of my career, probably. Like, because even when... 20, 20 years down the line from now, we'll still be talking about Mbappe because he would have just set the standard for everybody else that's following him. <laughs> and we're going to be comparing him like we compared great players now. Mbappe is going to set the bar for the next... Some kid, Dylan, right now is two years old. He's going to know all about Kylian Mbappe and he's going to watch him loads. And he'll, he'll one day have his name on his shirt, I'm sure, because he's going to be the next big thing. And there's absolutely no doubt that Mbappe has to be number one on this list because if he doesn't become the best player in the world and not just the best player in the world for a long time to be honest if, I expect him to be to win the Ballon d'Or three four times it'll be a travesty something's gone wrong if that hasn't happened it means he suffered a serious injury or something catastrophic has happened because there's no reason to believe that there's going to be any let up or Erling Haaland has gone super Saiyan. Yeah, <laughs> he's pressed another button and gone to a different mode yeah well that's it that's the um, that's the worry isn't it if you if you're killing Mbappe somebody else comes through and and I think you're right I mean when I was watching him come through I was just starting out and I was what, doing like a, a human because a human so I was about eight um <laughs> no but I was working sort of part-time here and there on doing live commentary texts for the Champions League and I remember doing the City Monaco game and I remember sitting there being like oh, oh my god <laughs> I think one of the things you can probably go and find it was on the UEFA website and it was just like you need to watch this kid you need to spend some time watching this kid it's unbelievable and and it was and 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 that's it it was um it, like, look, from there on, it's it's been one-way traffic, hasn't it, for Kylian Mbappe? There has been no 
no real let up. It's been, you know, a constant source of goals, a constant stream of admirable performances and, and a one way ticket to the very top of the game. And and we're yet to see anything that suggests that that ticket is not a permanent one. And and I think that's why, Sam, you've probably put him in here. And I think it's why it's a, it's a justified choice. Just a quick thought, though. Kylian Mbappe five years ago was breaking through. In five years' time, he will have been playing at the top level for 10 years, which is incredibly impressive. You know, he'll only be 26. In five years' time, Yusufa Makoko will be 21. Mm. He'll be 21 years old. And we might be talking about him as the person to take the Mbappe crown or the Haaland crown when it all comes through. So just through the thought, it comes around real quick. And when they do break through so young, it ends up being, you know, you can talk about them five years into their career as still breakout stars, which is pretty nuts. Yeah, yeah they do come around quick. I mean, as 16 months ago, I didn't know who Ansu Fati was. And here he is at number three on my list of players to become the best player in the world. So <laughs> it's just the way it works, my friend. And look, there are others as well. We should probably dish out some honorable mentions here. Um, look, there's a little cluster of players. You look through the Golden Boy shortlist over the last couple of years and you can pick out players like Kai Havertz and Phil Foden and uh, maybe even Mason Greenwood and Bukayo Saka from the English lot. I mean, they are very, very high potential players if things fall into place for them. Ferran Torres is exceptional. Eduardo Camavinga probably won't ever become the best player in the world because of the position he plays and the style that he is, but he's an option as well. The one that player like who's like right at the top of the game here, established, but young enough that I did wonder about, and Jack, I know that you'll like this suggestion, was Joshua Kimmich who has a case, has a case to be the best central midfielder in the world as we enter 2021 very shortly. And he is young enough, I think, to hold a position in this area and maybe just exciting enough and well-known enough to be considered the best. Although I think he'd be up against Kevin De Bruyne and I wonder if De Bruyne might be the favourite there. But as I said at the top, your Neymars, your De Bruyne's, Mane, Salah, Kane... I just decided to move on from that conversation a little bit since they're all later 20s. But those are some honourable mentions for you. And feel free to kick in anymore if you've got any, if I've forgotten some, because I'm sure I have. I liked, I like that Kimmich shout. Um, it's one of those things, I think until his injury, I think there was a case to suggest he was the form player in the world. Mm. Um, and and I, I think that genuinely we're seeing his, his kind of arc into a centre midfield general has been nothing short of remarkable. And, and yeah, at 30 years old, I think he will be still dominating midfields across across the world unless something has gone wrong. So, so yeah, although I think that especially a midfielder in Kimmich's mould will struggle to be recognised as the best player in the world again just because of the position he plays, even if he has been doing it for 12 years. You know, yeah. that's going to be that's going to be an issue. So I would say that I like the mention, but I I think you've gone I think you've gone the right way in how you've predicted this. The other one is a slightly older cast, but now that Leroy Sané, as our friend Harry Brooks would say, is no longer trapped under Pep on the left wing, now he gets to play with more variety, more versatility up front, off the right-hand side. Sané's numbers this season are incredible and we know how good he is. And now he's been set a little bit more free. He is still technically, I think, probably young enough and has those physical gifts, has that technical ability, has that production, all the things we've been referencing the whole way through. Sané is your... You're out of the box shout here, I think. He plays in the right position, whereas Kimmich doesn't. He's just a bit older than the guys we've talked about. But I wanted to chuck him in as well, because in three years' time, there is a chance, guys, that he's the best. Yeah, no, I think yeah, that's, a, that's a, good shout. a pretty fair shout. It's um, Again, I, I can understand why you haven't put him in, mm. but it's, um, you know, it's one of those. I mean, I guess... 
Alfonso Davis, but is it hard to be the best player in the world from left well, back? Probably. Mate, he didn't even he didn't even win the Golden Boy Award when he clearly deserved it. So that was unfair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Haaland, I'm huge respect for Haaland, obviously, as we've been talking about, but I think Davies deserved it over Haaland personally. So if he can't even win that, he's never going to be recognized as the best player in the world. His position is his biggest enemy there. Uh, what about Pod Golden Boy Dominic Sobersley? I'm not ready to go there yet. Let's see where he goes next. It's uh okay, all right, cool. I just thought I just thought I put it no, on the no, table. No, no, it's a good shot. It's a good shot on the table. It's a it's a player we've given enough screen time to over the time, so we thought we'd um we at least chuck him into the conversation. But it is... he's going to join Arsenal. If he does that, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be an unbelievable signing for Arsenal. It would probably be a bad signing for Dominic Sobersley's career. Um, and and that is, I mean, that is pretty much that with the ranking. Then Sam, so we'll be back after the break with Dean's melon of the week, and of course Sam's gibberish rankings don't go anywhere fair play and fair value it's what playing at William Hill is all about William Hill it's who you play with gamble responsibly answer me this how long have you had that mattress because it's looking even lumpier than my lockdown love handles. And while those might be more cuddly, a lumpy mattress is doing nothing for your comfort levels or your sleep. So whatever body you're rocking, put it on a Nectar mattress. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in. That includes a Nectar mattress, mattress protector, cooling pillows, and sheet set, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com and get hugged. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for my favourite part of the show. Dean Jones, floor yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is a ranking. Yes. Oh, wow. I've caught everyone out. I've caught everyone out. We have got to have a ranking of melons because everyone's had nightmares all over the place. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to pick one of my rankings as a melon. No, no. I no, got no. so worried. You I'll do so... that though one week. That would be funny. Yeah, that is funny. I wondered why you had that look of dismay on your face. I anyway. thought you were going to basically say what I just did for half an no. hour. I could release a DVD of melons from the past weekend. So we're just going to crack through these five to one. Five. At, oh my God. At five. Even Cavalero for his penalty, Mitch, which he slipped and blazed over the bar and made sure that Fulham are never going to score another penalty. He fully David Beckhamed it, didn't he, from he really Euro 2004? Did. I did but feel any... a bit sorry for him. It wasn't actually his fault. It's not really his fault, but it, it has to go. It had to be considered, and he's gone in as number five. Yeah. At no. four. At four. Hector Bellerin did another foul throw. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? Oh, my God. One more and he's retired. <laughs> At three. <laughs> Bayer Le- Leverkusen goalkeeper, Lucas Hedeki. <laughs> oh, no. A defender passes the ball back to him very routinely and he slices it. He's one side of his goal, slices it with the outside of his right foot. It spins backwards into his own net. It's a goal. So yeah, that was goal. bad. That it was, was so, bad. so, so, so bad. It was so bad. Didn't stop Leverkusen, though. Unbeaten. <laughs> the fact that is number three tells you everything. <laughs> that would win it nine weeks out of ten. Yeah, it's true. At two, this is a surprise because most people will think this is number one. It's the Nicholas Pepe headbutt. 
Only at number two. That this was, was ridiculous. Like, ridiculous. I, I just just need to have a moment to be like, we live in a in a game where there is a VAR official checking everything, and he looked genuinely perplexed that they had, they had seen it. Seen it. I was like, <laughs> you walked over to someone and headbutted them, like. How on what planet did Nicola Pepe think he was going to get away with this and be like, oh yeah, that'll be fine, yeah, like, no problem at all. It wasn't even a good headbutt. Like this is what I was saying. If you're gonna if you're gonna headbutt someone, crack a skull, like absolutely do some damage. Like don't don't headbutt someone and then them them like lie on the floor for a bit and then get up being like I haven't even got a headache. Like <laughs> it, it wasn't even a good headbutt. Like nah, rubbish. Boom. Number two yeah. though. Number two. What's number, number one? This week's Melon of the Week is referee Alan Chapman from the Orlando v NYCFC game. <laughs> he has right. had such a bad game that he's set MLS back 10 years. Nobody can take this league seriously for a long time. The penalty shootout was an absolute farce. Farce! I mean, I'm sure everybody's seen this by now, but he sends off the Orlando goalkeeper during the penalty shootout for going for diving early. So he saved the kick, sends him off. So he's in a second yellow card. Now, technically, they're, they're sticking by him on this rule and saying, well, under our rules, that that's right. Well, that wouldn't have happened in any other league in the world. So it's stupid. Anyway, it gets worse. <laughs> Orlando almost convinced him that they're allowed to sub in a new goalkeeper. <laughs> and he's close to going with it. He nearly went along with it. It was only once he had a chat with his all his mates, his referee mates, that he decides, oh, no, I don't think you... Do you think you're allowed to do that? No, I don't think so, mate. No, no. OK, no, we don't think you can sub in. Of course you can't. You learned that from about eight years old. You can't make subs during a penalty shootout. <laughs> they I not mean, watch when Tim Krul got brought on with one minute to go. <laughs> yeah, why do you think people do that? Honestly, anyway, I mean, it, the, this went on for what, that penalty shootout lasted about half hour. And the goalkeeper thing where he was trying to decide whether or not it was allowed was like four minutes. <laughs> it was just It was joke. enjoyable, though. It I've got to say, funny. it was incredible drama. It was funny, but that is just like taking MLS back to why everyone thinks it's an absolute joke, isn't it? It just doesn't do them any favours at all, especially at a time when you're like, Okay, well, we haven't been able to take MLS that seriously all season. Um, they had that weird competition in a bubble. Then they got back to normal for a little bit. But now it's the playoffs, so let's start watching it again. Hang on, what's going on? He's he's doing what? Anyway, <laughs> melon, melon, melon. Yeah, and that's from our chief MLS correspondent, DJ. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is you know <laughs> it's bad. Loves you know it's bad when someone who loves MLS as much as Dean does is is giving it a bad name. So. So yeah, I think uh, we can uh, we can all agree. Alan Chapman, Melon, uh, you've got Melon winging your way off to you soon, Alan. So I hope you <laughs> hope you're looking forward to it. Um, and that leaves. It's not actually the gibberish alarm. That was just a, a genuine representation of what Alan Chapman was saying to his friends at halftime. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pam, over to you. 
Yeah, gibberish this week. So last week, we sent out a DM to all of our patrons asking for two very simple things, country of residence and team they support. Just two answers. That's all I asked for. And we just wanted that information just so that we knew who we were talking to and so that we could make sure that you know we tailor our Patreon content that we hope you'll subscribe to. It can be tailored to the relevant things. I was expecting like really short, curt answers. For example, USA, Spurs, England. Liverpool, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Levante. Whatever it is, wherever you live, whoever you support, fine. But just really short and curt answers. And I did get some of those. I also got some other answers. Are you, you naming call... and shaming patrons as your gibberish ranking? Only first names. <laughs> but they were for, they were highly amusing, guys. And I have, I've decided to turn them into a ranking. So I basically okay. picked my three favourite replies from you, the rank squad, when I asked you the simplest of questions, which country do you live in and who do you support? But so a couple of honourable mentions first. Honourable mention to Martin, who wrote, I'm Irish, I support Man United. I love Roy Keane. I think John O'Shea was the best right back of all time. And I have conflicting emotions on Jack Grealish. I thought, hmm, one of our panel feels similarly on one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And a final honourable mention to anyone who replied to the question, who do you support? With the answer, ranks FC. Yeah, because about five of you did. And trust me, we loved it. But into the main ranking. Number three is Matt from England. He says, I support Bolton. Please don't mention this on the pod. I'm embarrassed enough as it is. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, at least at least we had Stu Holden on the show once. Yes. Yeah. I actually randomly bought a JJ Okocha Nigeria shirt from about 20 years ago the other day when I wasn't really thinking about it. And kind of one of those things where I got the receipt the next morning and I was like, I don't think I can pull that off. <laughs> 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 and I was like, hmm, it's, uh, well, it's mean, a really cool. I mean, for you to think that it must have looked really bad. Oh, no, no, it hasn't, arri- <laughs> it hasn't arrived yet. So we'll have to have a look at it when it turns up and see what we can see. But um, I am, look, I, I love JJ. So good they named him twice. So at least, yeah. you know, Bolton have got a fair bit of air time. So, right, anyway. who's in at number two, Sam? At number two, Mitchell, who supports four teams. And he's from Sydney, Australia. And he I lists love Mitch. The- he lists the teams out, and this I liked this a lot. So he supports Western Sydney Wanderers. I think that's probably fair enough. You're from Sydney. He supports Hull City. He says, my mum's partner played a game for Hull FC in rugby league. One game in rugby. So when I first found football, that was the only team I'd heard of outside of the usual big six. So he supports Hull. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's fantastic. Amazing. He says, in the US, I ride with Dean for LAFC. He says, one of the guys who helped create the 3252 is from Western Sydney. So they've based a lot of their chants off ours, which I didn't know. Dean, did you know that? I didn't. Uh, know. Western Sydney Wanderers have what, like some really, really good songs. Um, yeah. There's some excellent ones in there. So I, um, I, I also concur. Yeah, I like that. And he says, the last one is Krakowia in Poland. And I especially like this. He says, do you remember having Matt Walker on the pod, the author of Europe United? Well, he spoke about the Holy War, which is the Wisla Krakow, Krakowia derby. And he went to that match earlier this year as a result. He watched Jakub Blaszczykowski run rings around Krakowia, but still fell in love. And he wants to give us some credit for that one. And you know what, Mitchell? We'll take it. That's amazing. <laughs> we'll take that. So it's good to, good to make an impact sometimes, boys. So in at number one, my favorite reply was from Jackson. He says, I live in Iowa. I support Man City because I took a personality quiz when I was 15 and it told me to. <laughs> I have some questions. He has no personality, this lad. <laughs> oh, boo, boo. I didn't, I didn't want to go there. That's, yeah, really, really, club, that's, that's harsh. Look, 
how recent was the personality test, Jackson? Was it, say, 10 years ago? How old are you now? You said you were 15. Was this, were you eight, are you 18 now? Are you 28? So Man City, a very different team a decade ago to now. What does this say about you as a person? What does it, it say just, about your personality? What it state was, basically was City like, in? Do you reckon it was just like a question was like, who is the GOAT? And the answer was just Sean Goat. And then therefore it was it was just Excellent. game Man City. Because yeah, that is in a, an incredibly important reason to support Man City. How in depth was this quiz? Like, and did you get the result, Jackson, and go, okay. Or did you consider anything else? I don't know. I just, let's talk it through because this is intriguing. But supporting a team because a personality test told you to do so when you were 15. I love it. Yeah, that's absolutely quality. <laughs> well done to both of you. I've enjoyed this last 10 minutes of the podcast immensely. And um, <laughs> and with that, all that's pretty much left to do is to say thank you to Mr. Dean Jones. Thank you, mate. Thank you, Mr. Sam Sai. Cheers, buddy. And make sure you enter our competition. You win yourself a Patreon subscription for as a yet unidentified amount of time. Uh, thanks to Dean Jones. And, and that's all very exciting. Uh, the link is in the description or it's on any of our social medias and you can click through it. It really will take you all of 10 seconds to complete this questionnaire and we'll have it all done. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on Friday with another episode in our Cyber Week special uh, where we'll be looking at Friday Spotlight to the games you need to watch this weekend and a player to watch from Sam. Uh, we're looking forward to it and we're looking forward to the games. I hope you enjoyed yesterday's Champions League. I hope you enjoyed tonight's Champions League and I hope you enjoy the Europa League tomorrow. We'll see you on Friday, gang. Take care. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 